Thank you for tuning in to the Queer Stories of Q's podcast. My pronouns are they, them. I'm so happy to be here with our interviewee. Hi, my name is Atia McGee. I use they, them, theirs, and I'm a second year doctoral student in the Cultural Foundations of Education's program at Syracuse University. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, So just to start off, can you please tell me where and when you were born, if you don't mind sharing, you, you don't have yeah. to share when. Okay, I guess you could say when. <laughs> <laughs> I was born March 7, 1992. I'm a Pisces sun, Aries moon, Capricorn rising, and I we're in retrograde until October 2nd. So double record everything. Like after oh this recording, God. save it to the cloud, save it to your laptop because we're in, re- working in retrograde. Okay. Um, You're so funny. I tell people all the time. I'm a Capricorn. I'm a Capricorn rising. That means we get, we or look, we're organized. We're here. Okay? Yes. We're here. That means, I have an Aries moon too. So now ooh, what? I'm sorry. Oh, we want, Aries moon, we know we a lot. We know we're a lot. Okay. Yeah. We, we literally tell people, oh, you're a friend. Mm-hmm. I'll see it through your actions. Mm. You know what? <laughs> that is true. Wow. Well, I guess look. we're all the same, but Yes, please. Yeah, and I'm um, originally from the Bronx, so I grew up on 182nd and Grand Concourse. And then I, um, once I started college, um, I then just kept moving around every so often. And now I'm in Syracuse for at least another two, three years. And then I either want to stay in New York or be at least in the Northeast, but we'll mm-hmm. see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So, so can you t- can you tell me a little bit of like what w- what was it like to grow up queer like in your community? Mm. I guess were you born in the Bronx also? Like you said, mm. yeah, I was born so, in. Um, I, I don't claim this, but uh, according to my birth certificate, I was born in Manhattan. But to me, I'm from the Bronx all day, every day. Like I told you, about, I I started school in the Bronx because like my mom moved us around when I was like before five. So I told you, I said. Bronx okay just because I was born because she had to push me out somewhere doesn't mean I'm not from there but I'm from the Bronx yeah um but uh I you know New York City is interesting because it is a queer utopia in many different ways and has its different things and I grew up in the 90s right so I grew up in 1992 I was born in 1992 um but in coming to a queer consciousness and realizing that I was just not heterosexual um it was this funny thing of like, I go through elementary, middle school, and people are like, oh, people used to joke, oh, Atiyah's going to have a boyfriend, or Atiyah is going to get married, and da, da, da. And I just used to look at them and be like, Atiyah's going to go to college, and that's all Atiyah cares about. So, and so, and so for a while, I was like, um, maybe like, they're like, oh, once you figure that out, you can do that and also date and all that other stuff. But my mom used to threaten me and saying, don't start dating um, because it's going to distract you. And so I took that very seriously. So I was one of those people who like joined a b- bunch of clubs who distracted themselves with everything besides a relationship. And so I was like, maybe I'm broken because I don't like, like people at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course I went to, um, I went to uh, high school and uh, we had a, uh, my friend and I co-founded the Gay Straight Alliance and we both knew we were queer 
but we didn't know we didn't have a language we were just like we're not straight so let's make a gay straight lines and figure it out and yeah. so she wrote the she wrote all the stuff i i think i went to the first two meetings and i was like yeah i don't want to do this anymore <laughs> it still exists though it's the mm-hmm. funny part is it still exists wow. and most people don't know the history of like us starting with us so it's also this funny moment wow. but um so That's we wild. so I had a uh, gay slash bisexual guidance counselor who was like, hey, do you want to go to the YMCA with me this weekend? They're doing an LGBTQ 101 workshop. And I was the person who was like, yeah, I'll do anything. All right. And this is this is before we even founded the organization. And mm-hmm. um, people kept joking that me and my friend who, um, who identifies as a woman, that we're like secret closet lesbians in love with each other because we're that we were that close. Oh, and I was goodness. like, nah, I don't like people like that. I really don't. So I get there and I meet this woman named Mackenzie and I never forgot her. And she used the term pansexual and she describes it. And we're doing this workshop around language and, and creation. And I was like, am I pansexual? And that is the first time I actually try to use an actual term. Because before I was just like, I don't like people. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I like people, but I don't, you know, in high school, everyone says, talks about hormones and sex. And I'm just like, that's not me. And so I was like, okay, my, I think pansexual works. I think pansexual works. So then I go to college and I don't date. Like I go on dates, but I don't date. And everyone just assumed that I was, um, they knew I was queer. But they just assumed I was a silent bisexual. And I was like, huh, oh, that's interesting. And then I work at uh, Oberlin College when someone finally goes, are you, mono-? they, they joke around and be like, are you monogamous because you want to be or because that's what you've been taught to be? And I was just like, oh shit. And then all of a sudden, and of course I, I did other queer things throughout my life to get more language and stuff like that. But all right. of a sudden people were asking me for my label. And so all of a sudden, um, pan and bi and gay and all that other stuff didn't fit and Mm -hmm. so I said I guess I'm demi Mm because I was like oh maybe it takes a while for me to gain attraction because at this point I've had uh, partners and boyfriends and all this other stuff but never to the point where I desired sex with them I just Mm -hmm. enjoyed being like hey take me out on a date thank you. I feel, I feel lavish. And then they right. Right? right. And then, um, it wasn't until my late twenties where someone had said, um, you know, like, Atia, you told me that asexuality existed in high school. And I was like, I did. I don't remember that. And my, um, my students were like, yeah, I identify as asexual. So then all of a sudden I go down the rabbit hole of Google and I knew about the term asexual, but I never thought about applying it. Cause when you hear LGBT, it never gets to the A, right? And all of a sudden I was like, I am asexual, but I'm like a demi asexual. I was like, oh, I don't desire sexual relations with people, period. And so my queerness and my coming to a queer identity was like knowing that I was not something my whole life, but I didn't necessarily have to come out. It was just a sense of like everyone around me just knew. Absolutely. Like everyone was just like, oh, Atiyah is just doing Atiyah things. But it didn't mean like my mom still was like, when are you going to have children or when are you going to get a boyfriend? And eventually she used to joke of like, I think I broke you with expectations that you shouldn't date until you get your college degree or whatever. And I was like, no mom. I was like, I really truly do not like people like that. Um, So that's the joke of the day. that's okay. You know, it's really not a big deal. 
so yeah that's thank you so much for sharing that yeah my next question was literally going to be when did you come to terms so would you say that was in college more so or like Mm. in between high school and college like where like how old were you do you think I think it was one of those things where I definitely I remember because I had my first ever like relationship was in middle school Mm. and even then it was more of the thing where I got in a relationship with someone because my friends told me you should and so I always did things people told me I should do but even Mm. then I knew I was like this is not this is not for me so I thought I knew I wasn't a late bloomer because I had I had big boob boobies and all that stuff so I was like the mm-hmm. hormones are there they're kicked in but I was like no and then I thought maybe it was a fear of sex because um one of the things that people talk about is if you get pregnant before you know you have a job and you're uh, in college you're not going to make it so I said okay am I not having sex because sex education at the time really did promote abstinence and I was like is that it but honestly I think it was always a quiet um understanding of I'm just going to do what I'm going to do and yeah. no one's going to tell me different. And it doesn't mean I didn't feel isolated or I didn't feel lonely. But, it, but at the same time, I also was like, when I kept thinking to myself, what, what would I want to do? And otherwise, I was like, I don't, I'd rather, I'd rather go to cry about being lonely than to cry being in a relationship I'm forced to be in. And yeah. so my, I think, but my full consciousness, like me using language for myself, honestly had to happen in like last five six years I'm 30 right now but I feel like it was in my 20s because after the 20s I got my master's and now everyone is wondering okay so you I'm first generation by the way so they're like you're the first to complete high school you're the first to complete college you now got a master's degree what are you waiting for like where's where's, where's the dating where's the kids and I was oh just God. like y'all I'm still the same Matias. it's just not there right yeah you know it just doesn't have to be there I don't know yes it's very it's very weird everyone has to be this certain way and and you know if you take all those labels and all these structures off like I don't know if you saw the new heard about the new families code in Cuba and like how they're restructuring mm. families like they're you know abolishing the nuclear family thing anyone who's gay trans can adopt anyone you oh know? wow and like it's an it's their family now and like these things of about what what does a family mean look like and like the mom dad all these things you know that are in our heads all the way up to now it's it's just unnecessary it's just so unnecessary right. And if you remove all of it, it's just freedom for everybody. So right. Very interesting to think about. Um, yeah. But thank you so much for sharing of all course. the ways what you have shared. We're going to switch gears, if, if you don't mm-hmm. mind, a bit to your connection to Syracuse. When did mm. you get here? Was college the beginning? Yeah. So I knew people who went to Syracuse and so I always knew about Syracuse and I'm of course from New York so I knew about Syracuse but I decided to uh when the pandemic happened um when it started I shouldn't say happened past tense it's currently going on y'all and if you disagree you hate people you're anti-black you're racist um and so I uh yeah it was 2020 and I finally felt like I had a purpose in my job I was starting to find my flow of things and then it just disrupted. It. it just cut everything in half. And I remember um, sitting, just floating through the motions because no one knew what to do. At the time I worked at a college. So I was a, I worked in residential life and I was working at a college and I was like, okay, I'm waiting for instructions. Like, what are we going to do? We had just rushed all these people home, but there were people on campus. But at the same time, we were talking about us being infected. What does safety look like? And my mom passes away in August 
right before we're supposed to do, you know, res life training and all this other stuff. And so I said to myself, what do I want to do if life is so precarious? What do I want to do? And so I applied vigorously to leave res life to do multicultural affairs jobs. But I also, I kept getting to the final round, but ultimately not being chosen. I said, okay, what else do I want to do? And I was like, I want to go back to grad school, but I'm scared. And luckily my friend at the time was in grad school and she was like, I'll help you through your applications. So I applied to a bunch of PhD programs um, and Syracuse was the only one who admitted me. And so I had to make a decision. Do you work for another full-time year or do you go to Syracuse? And so I moved here July 23rd of 2013, of 2013, so uh, uh, July 23rd of 2021. And that was it. I just was like, I'll figure the rest out. Um, I hadn't looked up any of the statistics of like, uh, or things to do, but I did know Syracuse for the Not Again SU. I knew Syracuse for some of the alumni. I knew Syracuse because some of my business um, associates were like, Syracuse has a powerful black alumni population, but no one talked about queer things. And I was like, well, I went my whole life not actively thinking about my queerness in the sense of looking for clubs and bars and spaces. So what's, what's another location? And so I just moved here on a, on a God's going to take care of me type feel. <laughs> yeah. And look at you. So, so how, how are you still like, like in the same spot that you began at? Or have you moved around in Syracuse, like within Syracuse? Or are you like, mm. oh, I'm keeping that apartment because the way y'all rent is, I got it. I got it sweet. I don't know how I cut my, I got a two bedroom for a thousand seventy and a lot of my friends are paying like 13, 1400 for a two bedroom. I was like, let me stay right here. Yeah. And I have, and my roommate, well, my roommate quote unquote is my, my, my um, younger brother. Um, because when my mom passed away, he was living with her, but I told him, I said, I don't live with roommates, but I'm like that. When I say, I don't like people. Even when he came to move with me, I was like, No, yeah, I completely get that. Well, <laughs> thank you for sharing. Yeah, that that's really wild how you got here. I mean, I thought you were here for like years or something. I guess you're more like recent. Yeah, yeah, right. Are you just a, a t- like a TA like instructor? Or are you just mm-hmm. like, so yeah. I'm here um, TAing for um, uh, cultural foundations of education, specifically with schooling diversity. And then last year I did selective studies, and so I have a TA ship for three years. And then my final year, I'm either hoping to win the Ford Fellowship, I'm actually working on that application now, or I'm going to um, find some type of funding for my fourth year. But my plan ultimately is to be done in four years and five years only if I get additional funding. But it's hard to imagine the fifth year when I'm just in my second year. It's kind of like, I just got here and I'm already talking about five you know three years from now (laughs) yeah yeah well time has been flying especially since the pandemic began like I don't know well I don't know about you but I've been like well my roommates and I have been like on this self-isolation you know like if we don't have to go out if it's not essential we're not going out Mm -hmm. you know we're going to class and back and like masking and all these things but um yeah because because um I'm I'm thinking about how COVID has affected your (laughs) 
situ- mm-hmm. of your situation and how that threw you uh, literally in the middle of nowhere. And um, so, so that's really interesting how the pandemic, yeah, that's really true. And you also brought, a, brought up Not Again SU. I was a part of Not Again SU. That's so funny. That's where I met so many queer and trans people where, you know, they brought me to my queer awakening, basically, I like mm. to call it. My freshman year was Not Again SU. So that's when I was organizing November 2019 to all the way to that month long sit in in the administration's building. It was so bad. Mm-hmm. Like, this administration is so horrible. Uh, like, I, and you I was... try to negotiate with white people and I mean, you'll get nowhere. Like you'll really get nowhere. I, oh my God, it's just like a whole lot of stuff, but yeah. And one of the things I knew coming in, cause that's another thing that affects and I know this This is just, so when I came here, I knew people who told me, do not come here after not again issue. Do not come here, do not come here. And I was like, I had been in a space where not every black and brown queer trans student loves me, I will say, right? But I was, I've, I'm used to supporting black and brown and queer trans people of color. And so I was like, y'all, these are my people. So if they're tired, I'm going to come in as a fresh body to help them rest, right? Um, also, we're going we're gonna to restore each other to get back to the work, right? And so when I came in, you know, it was 20, um, 2021. And besides like whispers, it was like as if not again, SU didn't happen. Because the focus was so much on the pandemic. And when even now, one of my goals, um, I'm trying to do a research project uh, with a few faculty around Not Again issue and getting people to remobilize. People graduated or people just flat out transferred or, or flat yeah. out just dropped out. And so it's this thing where who holds the memory? And then yeah. even those who hold the memory, it's traumatic. Yeah. And so I came here in a, a time where a lot of those queer and trans people, like you mentioned, are black people. A lot of them are, you know, dispersed. Um, and it doesn't mean that people are not here still for community. But when I start came here and I was looking for community, it was very clear you um, have to, you know, there's still the black graduate student or um, organization and all the other things. But it was hard because all of a sudden yeah. people were just tired. Yeah, yeah. I I like what you're saying about burnout restoration because like that's what this the administration is counting on. You know, for us to be burnt out, for us to graduate, leave out. You know, like just leave the university and just like no one continues or like no one keeps it going. You know, that that's exactly what they count on. And in most cases, that's how it turns out. You know, we have to get back to our life. We have to. Mm-hmm. We can keep missing days of work. You know, we have to pay our own bills too. Things like that. Like all these things are what they count on. They also use many tactics. You know, we will suspend you. We will, you know, mm-hmm. they have so many tiers, so many levels they can use against us. And I really learned that. Um, I mean, not again, you was, was, it was so much. But if you want to talk to, about that another time, I I am free to, and I will offer you all my time. There's a, a lot of tired organizers and obviously I'm obviously very tired but like you can talk to me mm-hmm. anytime whatever you need we'll like, chat, I'll give we'll that chat. to you so don't oh, even worry thank you. yeah um but um okay back to this are you the uh, same person doing the home-based dialogues yes I am I was gonna okay. say I saw you as a participant so this is wonderful we'll have more discussions many, yes. many more I'm sure so, yeah lots to discuss right lots to discuss lots to discuss um so how how, do, how have you de- dealt with intersectional oppression in, especially at 
as as you、mm. do you have any ways of coping do you have any any outlets you know i was fortunate to come into a cohort so there's four of us that we call a cohort um I, we call ourselves cha cha i i was like we need to put our name and acronyms together and figure this out Um, and one of、um, we're all femmes of color, if not women of color. I told people I said I wouldn't be offended if people call me a woman of color, but just know that my womanhood is still on the fringes. And so I always tell people I'm like, if be careful who you say it around, but I'll、right. you can say woman of color, right? But we're all women of color,、um, and a few of us are queer, identified, and also, and some of us are black, some of us are Latinx, all Latine.、Um, and so I came in where、um, even I, I at least had one. Right, I felt like I at least had one or two, one one queer or two queer people to go to,、um, and I still have folks of color, and so、um, it was actually a lot of、uh, my struggle has been finding finding the bridge between undergrads, grads, faculty, and staff in the way that I'm used to doing it, and so like I go to the Shine Center and I get to see people like Jorge. Who like lights up my life, right? And I love Jorge.、Um, I had、uh, PJ Di Petro, Professor PJ Di Petro, my、mm-hmm. first semester, which is really grounding.、Um, I had Himika,、uh, Professor Himika Bhattacharya, who was my professor、um, and doctors. I should be referring to doctors, give them full prestige, right?、Um, and so there was something about having them my first year to be really grounding.、Um, and of course, there's CFE folks like Gretchen and all these other folks who are really great.、Um, And so there was a way in which a lot of stuff was mitigated. However, I I can never tell. I feel like my queerness is always second in a predominantly white space because what people see is is,、um, and I say that because I I hear a lot of institution was like we need a diversity committee or we need diverse and you know our bodies suddenly become objects for a committee, and、um, I was not about it. I came here to be selfish. I came here to work. I specifically said, if you're not black and brown, and I don't know you, I'm not. This is not. This is not it. I'm not doing this、yes. for free anymore, right? For free. And so my exhaustion immediately came when I realized that all my labor was going to people who harmed me,、um, or who was extracting from me. And then I had at one point said, I I was doing an interview with someone for their their project, and they said, what if? You said no, or what? What happens when you're not offering yourself anymore, or say, you know? And I told him, I said, I don't know what that existence looked like. That I'm so used to the exploitation of my body that to say no feels like I'm 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 saying no to community, but we're not in community. Right, we're not all.、Yes. You know, I think there's an abuse of the term. We're family. We're community. We're not. Not all of us are family. Not all of us. Some of y'all are. <clears throat> The sheep's、yeah. of the family. We can be family, but you you got to be over there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So in terms of the stressors of Syracuse, I've ha- I have people I know I can talk to, but sometimes it feels like I have to talk about race and gender, specifically as a woman of color or femme of color,、um, and so and also sexuality because I identify with demi ace, and I don't have a partner. People forget that I'm queer. That they, they you know unless. It comes up. There's no way for it, there's no way it will come up,、um, and so there's times where people are like, "Oh, hey, Tia." I'm like, "What's up?" So I guess I think there's a privateness to sexuality here, at least around the folks of color. I see a lot of white 
queer undergrads who express themselves with their rainbow flags and all this. And I see a lot of folks of color be quieter with their bodies, um, but with their gender mm-hmm. expression or the use of badges, right? I don't walk around with a date and theirs. Um, I correct yeah. you in person and then we move on, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, you know what? This is all really interesting. I I really thank you for sharing this. I know. Also, if you ever want to like take a break or stop at any point, like oh please, please let me know. Yeah, I th- I think one of the things about coming to SU, like as like I I I'm also from New York City, and like coming to mm-hmm. you know this predominantly white you know place is is very with a very strange cult- culture shock. But I mm-hmm. think like just having a few people under your like next next to you that understand your experience is is so helpful like if I didn't have that for example I just don't I just have no idea where I would be so I'm glad that you have you know Mm -hmm. a community that you have separated from you know the people that try to put us in community with them but the us is not always us Mm -hmm. in in Mm -hmm. every context and you need to really separate you from the us if you need to be separated you need to do that so that's very important also boundaries you know all these things that what you say about um like if if you're white I just I just have nothing to say to you and I think I'm in new house I don't know if you know Mm. how white (laughs) this Mm -hmm. is something I experienced you know in every every single class so it's so weird when they talk about diversity and inclusion. I mean, like all the eyes just go to you and the way they speak about it is also they're aware that they are utilizing, you know, few, you know, uh, like people of color, like they're mm-hmm. aware. And I think that they act like they're not aware of it, but they mm-hmm. are aware of it. You can't just say you're not aware when you're doing it all the time. You know, that that excuse doesn't work for that. But anyway, yeah. So I've learned a lot about that at SU and, and about white people in general. And I don't know just how fragile they are. But <laughs> that is that we have so much more to talk about there. But I'm yes. just going to ask you if your, your your queerness played a role in your career in any way mm. I, don't, I don't know if it's affected you in your TA life or more you can talk about grad school I guess if you don't mm-hmm. talk about career life I think it's so interesting because um I worked with a lot I work in I worked in res life and I had students who come to me because I'm queer and sometimes I would have flags sometimes I would say they them there sometimes you know there was um uh indicators right quote unquote indicators of queerness and but I, they would not read my my adjacent co-worker who's bisexual as queer and my co-worker would be like I'm wearing the Doc Martens I'm wearing the floral thing how do you not read me as queer and so it was an interesting thing where some students came to me because they knew I was queer um or I was one of the few and it, and, it, and I'm in particular spaces so when I was at um my first job um if you were straight we were like, wow, they still made you. Because everyone was like some type of on the rainbow somewhere, right? And so yeah. students were in abundance of who to go to to talk about um, gender affirmation, tea, and all this other stuff. And I switched to another job that is in New York. And people are still queer, still people are trans, but the class influence. The yes. class influence. Oh. All of a sudden, it was people who had already... Um, it's different. It's a different conversation. And so... I was working more with the people who were coming out for the first time, mm-hmm. but had the class access sometimes to transition faster or, or like, I don't even want to use it like that, but 
who used me as a, I just need to let you know, move on versus my previous job. It, it was interesting. I think about how my role was, how do I mitigate violence and the, the and division of family that happened in my first job versus that wasn't as present in my second job. And, I, and then I'm sure some of it is class and race as the main difference, because my first job, I worked with a lot more QTPOC. And then my second job, I worked with a lot more white, queer um, folks. But it doesn't mean I didn't, there wasn't, you know, students of color who were queer, but it was a, it's a different class. Um, oh, yeah. And then I come to Syracuse where I don't, I, once again, I, I don't see people. And, um, and I think that's an... I, I will say, I think it's the difference of schools because I worked mostly at small schools with under 2,000 people. Mm-hmm. And you come to a place like Syracuse where literally you have to take a bus to get around. New houses, for example, broken up to three spaces. Mm-hmm. You don't know, are you in one or two or three? Right now I'm in Eggers <laughs> slash Maxwell. <laughs> right? Some people can it's be so hanging funny. out in a residence hall. Some people could be on the grass, right? There's a way in which people become invisibilized by the sheer amount of space you have to just be. Right. Yeah. And then when I go to um, now that I'm coming more and more out to, to the school, um, uh, each time I go to something, I'm I'm usually one of two people of color who are, uh, who are gender queer or um, or queer. All right. Or, and also I'm one of the few older folks because I'm a grad student and not mm-hmm. an undergrad. And so I'm always intentional <laughs> of being like, how does that show up? Um, and so interestingly enough, um, most of my interactions about my sexuality comes from staff members. Um, and I say that because I'll take a class and I do, I'm a consultant for um, LGBTQ gender trainings and stuff. So it's basic stuff of like how, like language, um, how to talk to youth and all this other stuff. And I get more questions from staff members and adults who are like, can you do a workshop for me? Or um, can you talk to my daughter? Versus mm-hmm. my previous experiences, it was students and staff didn't care. And so it's been very interesting to see the spaces. Um, so it comes up, but it comes up differently. And mm-hmm. I don't, and I try to do like my, my queer flagging where I like, I don't put on pronoun buttons, but I have like a rainbow sticker on everything. But I also think it's this interesting thing where I think people keep saying that queerness is so normalized now that it doesn't matter. But I'm like, it does. Because, it you know, people, I think people, I think that's a class comment because I tell people it is dangerous if you coming out means you can't go to college anymore because someone's going to cut your tuition payments. Yes, exactly. It is dangerous because at the end of the day, especially if you're black and brown and you're walking out in the streets of Syracuse, regardless of what they kill you for, the intersectional mm. is always going to be with your queerness and your transness and stuff, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, so it's, it's complicated yeah. and very interesting because most people don't refer to me or think of me. And people still, um, you know, as much as people are like pronouns and name change, people still call me she, her, her. And I told yeah. her, I don't mind if we're in community, but you're not in my community, you yeah. know? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's all very weird. And especially how they use you at work, you know, like, for example, like I I, I was working on um, my internship during Pride Month, and they made me do all the pride stuff, but they were still referring to me as she her. And I'm like, like, you really mm-hmm. 
come on I mean what what is the disconnect you know what I mean mm-hmm. it's because they don't care I mean I know what it is but it's just it's just very like it's very apparent I would say and especially in your workplaces like because mm-hmm. they need your labor at the end of the day they just need that you know or so, they um, need someone to like quote-unquote give them the answer right so like I don't know if you saw Big Frida was doing an interview and Big Frida, who is a gender fluid person, said pronouns was new to them. And everyone's like, oh, even Big Frida said, what is the fuck is pronouns? And I'm like, y'all, when I say, also I tell people, I said pronouns don't always mean gender, one, because there's a lot of, you know, trans and I could use she, her and still be non-binary. What the fuck? Let's go, right? Um, But I also told people, I said, when people introduce themselves with their pronouns, it's it's when people are like oh this is like grammatically incorrect or this stresses me out I'm like all y'all will go out your way to learn another language but you can't modify the language you're already speaking literally you know what I've also noticed when cis people change their names people pick up on it and be like I'll just do that I'll do that no problem and don't get me started on the surgeries but anyway, I mean, since people act like it's just like mm. the things we're doing is so out of field and it's like, it's everything we're say, doing. I must say to the listeners, I'm making all the affirmation faces right now. Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. I was like, you can't see me, but I'm like, mm, spill right, the tea. I wish you could. Keep the sugar. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for, for sharing your thoughts on that. Again, um, we're about to wrap up, but I just wanted to touch on a, li- a little bit on the more positive, not positive, mm-hmm. but like more on like what, what is home to you and, and how have mm. you navigated, you know, finding a home and who's around is if anyone what's around if anything you know yeah so home for me is quite literally in black and brown people and it's not to say there's no room for white people I know people are gonna listen to podcasts and be like thanks splitting me um but it's it's this honesty for anyone who knows these folks like um well there's some white folks like Jersey right and um but uh there's a few people like for example I um I get to connect with you through someone who I trust, like Easton, right? I have three people in my program, Cassie, Anna, and Chelsea, who are my cohort, who I get to be vulnerable with in different ways. I get to meet people like Jorge, um, Dr. Uh, DiPietro, Dr. Bhattacharya, Dr. Um, Susan Thomas, Dr. Um, I'm blank, uh, 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 Jen Jackson, who I'm taking Black feminist politics with, right? There's a way in which all these folks feed me differently and see me. And I think the scariest part um, about being a queer trans person of color is that visibility to has, there, there is some, you can be harmed when you're visible, but I have never felt as if the, so, you can be harmed when you're visible. And so I, I think about how I've tried to shrink myself a lot. And I've been grabbed by people to say, I see you. I see you when you're hiding in the corner. I see you on the days where you have uh, like the same clothes on for five days straight. And I see you when you just got a fresh outfit done. You know, like there's people who see. So home to me are those people who, who agree to see you and be patient with you. Right. And I think about how I need to show up more for them because there's a lot of times where I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, I sent that email. I do this. Right. But if that's what home is, and I think that's why, like, even the other day, and I'll share this briefly, I really thought about transferring from Syracuse or at least, like, you know, because I was like, Syracuse, this ain't it. This is not it. And it's not, 
the people. It's, sometimes it's my frustration with support, like from the institution level, or it's um, me wanting certain things that I know other people have at other schools and Syracuse says they have and then they don't, or they had it before the pandemic and now they don't, you know what I'm saying? And so I really yeah. thought about leaving. And the only reason I, I told Corey that I haven't left is because I said, my community here is amazing. Mm. I went to Wheaton College in North Massachusetts and I don't care what nobody says. That shit is racist. That place is racist. But, oh, yeah. Right? But <laughs> at the end of the day, I was like, these are my people. I went yeah. to University of Vermont for my master's. There's no way. I, I, I remember pickup flags, like being followed in stores, having money thrown at me because people didn't want to give you your change in your hand. Stay there for the people. Yeah. I lived in Ohio where people were saying that they weren't racist during a time where Trump was being elected, but I stayed for the students and the people. And then I moved on because at the end of the day, the institution didn't love me and no institution can love you, right? right? And then I went to another school right. where I was like, one against, once again, the institution can't love you. And also I need to find, when I realized I couldn't find home there anymore, I still love the people, but I still, I couldn't find home home. I had to leave. And so now I'm here and I'm, it's weird. Cause I'm like, I found home in, in different people. Um, but I, and even then I still kind of like, I still want to leave, but I'm like, no, cause I know people like Easton, Jersey, Iona, Romo, yeah. Della, all these people I haven't listed and more got me. Um, even now me and you, we're now in community. Right. And yeah. I'm going to see you for numerous different things. Um, even the students I work with, you don't have to like me, but we're going to be in community with each other. And that's another thing. We ain't got to agree to be there for each other. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where hope is for me. And um, I don't know if you've read um, just uh, queer, Queering Utopia or Disidentification by um, oh. Munoz, but he talks about what is the futurality? What is the queer, what is the queer future? And the queer future for me um, lies in a bunch of this stuff and it also lies in um potlucks it lies in um having people see you when you're trying to shrink um yeah. so yeah that's that's it right now but if anything i want to do like a little a little i might want to do a get some magazines and do a what's it called a vision board of what yeah. is home yeah well why can't we do that in our space yeah we can absolutely talk more about that why not Thank you so much for sharing all that. I really resonate with a lot of what you said. You know, that's that's the that's the way we're here. And I think when when we think about our future, we can think about our past in the same regard. People who mm -hmm. came before us, they they made it here because of community and only because mm -hmm. of community. Because that's the people that you can rely on at the end of the day. You know, like it's not going to be the institution. I'm not, I'm never going to go to them for anything when I leave mm -hmm. this place, you know, I'm going to take the people with me. So yeah, that, 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 that's, that's a really good point. And, and I, I also saw like on Twitter, this is like, there was like a discourse about like, like, like leaving to different socialist and communist countries, like, and, and, and like, just like wanting to move, you know, out of the United States. And then I saw this comment, it was like, well, well I've in, someone 
felt like they would be abandoning their communities that they've established here instead of like, mm. like they're just going in like a, a, to a different community, entering a different space, you know, to have their mm. own comfort. But what about everybody you're leaving behind? And what about the organizing you can all do together? And obviously mm-hmm. everyone, you know, you should feel free to go wherever you want to go and Cuba mm-hmm. is a much better place in this country. But obviously it, it, it also goes to show who you'd be leaving behind. And I also mm-hmm. wanted to bring up a point about like outgrowing friendships and like, social class Mm -hmm. you know and like wanting to go up and like I'm not trying to mm -hmm. go there and I'm trying to stay with my community right um when you said you um are from New York where you did you say in New York you're from I'm from Harlem Harlem I hear little Bronx though I was like you you on the border border?" (laughs) Uh, I hear little Bronx there um but it was one of those things of I am first generation and I'm one of the few people to go to college outside of like CUNYs and SUNYs, because you know, in New York City, they push the CUNYs and SUNYs really hard. Um, And so I was, I I think at the time when I graduated, I went, I was one of three students who went to private schools and everyone else went to public, which does matter. Um, And it doesn't matter at the end of the day, because sometimes we end up in the same place with the same check, but it matters at the time it happens. Because that's when, when you think about who, who gets to sit next to the Mark Zuckerbergs versus not, right? And um, when you said that, I remind people, I said, as much as I've traveled, people still hear the Bronx in my accent, even when I think I don't hear it anymore. And I've left a lot of friendships behind, but I've also had friends because we're in community say, you bitch, you're not leaving me, but I don't, I should, I should, I need to bleep that out. You are not leaving me behind. Right. And they see me and they see where I'm going and we see each other and say, okay, we're not talking every day, but we're going to talk at least three times a year. And so I think there's also this idea that community can't travel. And I'm like, no, community can absolutely travel. Home can absolutely travel. Because at the end of the day, when I want my bacon, egg and cheese in Arizona, or like the other day, my my sister, she has lived in um, Florida for the last 25 years. And she said, Atia, I saw someone from the Bronx. Guess what they were wearing? And I was like, you know, I was like, I don't know what the updated fits are. She said, Tia, they were wearing black leggings with Tim's with a, with a plaided shirt around the, with, uh, the hips. And I immediately felt like I was home because you immediately know what that looks like. 